I'm Holiday. I'm Taraday. I'm Independence Day. Oh, a microphony. And a phony at the mic. Get Whoa! Ah. <laughs> and now, on with the opera. Let joy be unconfined. Let there be dancing in the streets, drinking in the saloons, and necking in the parlor. Play, Don. Would you welcome Mr. Warm? Picture it. <laughs> Sicily, 1912. Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to Killers, Cults, and Nutjobs 2.0, where we cover all crime. I am, as always, your host, the great white snark, Scotty J. And seated across from me virtually is the lovely and twisted Monica. I got I I have to give a shout out to to one of the members of the drinking club before we get rolling too far. Um Joseph. Joseph Ventura. Did, did you see that did you see the new one he put up? No, yeah, I haven't. Um he actually put your name on it. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah, he said when when Scott finally gets around to writing the book and it's like that that it's like um like a flame lady. Uh-huh. And so, um, let me see if I can pull up the picture because he did this at work, and it was a, like a really great job. So if I ever write the book for the show, um, well, no, I'm going to hire him to uh, to do the um, <laughs> the graphics for it because I mean it was it it was really good. Yeah, just okay. It says from the most popular podcast available on on all major platforms, Killers, Cults, Cults and Nut Jobs, a crime fiction book by Scott Klonowski and Monica Sackwell Diagostino. I'm gonna see if you can get a good. Yeah, yeah. It, it was like, yeah, I'm. I'm yeah, let, let me add that to the list of uh, history titles I want to write. Actually, it would be, I mean, I could do a whole chapter on my father, so it might be a good idea. Oh, yeah. But we are rolling into the new year. We're looking good. Uh, 23 now. Yay. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, I've been kind of following this um, Idaho. Was it Idaho? Yeah, Idaho. Yeah, th- this crazy some bitch out there in I- Idaho. And of course, he's from Pennsylvania. Right. And, you know, it it, it gets me. I, I've, I'm, I've been following this and I've also been following the um, the vote for the uh, Speaker of the House. Uh-huh. And how Kevin McCarthy is the Susan Lucci of politics, apparently. <laughs> I don't know. The the more that I watch the the and and I have to thank you for um kind of opening the door to that world a little bit for me. Um, I don't know if I should say you're welcome or. Apologize. Well, no. Let me explain. I I didn't grow up in a political house. To this day, I don't even know what my step who my stepdad ever voted for. Mm-hmm. We didn't talk about it. Uh, yeah, not my house. <laughs> well, right. It, and and I've learned that. On my visits with you and your mom. And we've been my dad too. Right. So I've kind of had to like do a a crash course, so to speak. Mm-hmm. 
and and Jeff was was very political, and I just I don't have Jeff's tenacity to to read everything about Trump, although I have Neither books on I. the man. Yeah, I just I can't. I you know I tried to read the Divider, mm-hmm. and the, the the more that I get into it, the more that I see that the you know the and you know we won't just go too deep into politics, but. The more I read about it, the more I realize this man was not suited for the job. Doy, and also, I'm reading um, Assassination Vacation, which I've had for a while. I wanted to read it for a while, and I found on, yeah, again, Thrift Books. It's, yeah, since there's no other bookstores around here and all, but whatever. Um, I had it, I pulled that out, and it's funny because it was right in, like, right like from 2005 okay so the complaining and remarks about who was president back then i'm like oh if we had only known um you know it's like no i i've kind of decided this year nice we had it back then kind of sort of right you know i you know i've been following this and i'm i'm hoping this weekend that i can actually take some time and and read some articles about this this crazy crazy wacko from idaho Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I, I take my phone with me to the bathroom at work so I can check messages and news stories. Yeah, not while you're. No, not while I'm working. Not, no, I mean, not while you're. Like, like, yeah, I don't need to say because it's still. Well, well, I, well, I'm sitting on the toilet. I'm, I'm uh, doing my. You know, I'm, I'm taking care of business in more uh, ways than one. Just clean the phone then. I do. Thank you. Well, it's got a screen protector, and well, yeah, but then you clean the screen. You know, you do a wipe off. Well, when, when I'm done with everything, I you know, before I do all that, I put it in my pocket. Okay, yeah, because some like seeing how dirty like you. The, oh God, yeah, yeah. But I, I really want to, you know, really want to look into this Idaho whack job and see what his story is. Mm-hmm. He looks. I'm saying he looks crazy too. But he's got that Ted Bundy quality to him. I heard, like some another group on Facebook, they're talking about that. Like he's got the like the Ted Bundy. Um, he's yeah. got a Ted Bundy quality to him that just yeah. You, you look right. Well, yeah, you can see it in the eyes, but mm-hmm. you know Ted Bundy had them eyes too. But I mean, I kind of kind of said with twenty twenty three that um. I'm going to get back into my civil war studies. I'm I'm going to, I got a bunch of different books I want to order by different aspects of the war that I want to read about. One I'm interested in, uh, someone actually did a study on a uh, PTSD in uh, civil war soldiers. Okay. Yeah. That's, that just seems so interesting to me, mm-hmm. but we, well, PTSD well, I don't know what they would have called it back then. Guy, Clara Harrison. Yeah, uh, one of these, one of these days when I'm in D.C., I'm going to go to her, um, go to her office, the the missing soldiers. Yeah, no, like Clara Harris. What's his name? Like you should know. Clara Barton. Not Clara Barton. Woo, Clara Barton. No, Clara Harris. The guy that was. Oh yeah, uh, Clara Harris and um, Rathborn from uh, the the assassination. Yeah, him. That's 
talking about PTSD from Civil War. Good Lord. Yeah. Okay. Well, not so much the war. It was just the, the night of the assassination. Well, you know, the war on top of the assassination. You know, it all kind of like gathered. Oh, up. man. I felt sorry for those two. a little bit off, you know, and then. You know, right. But, man, I, man, I feel sorry for those two. Uh-huh. So. And we'll talk about it when we do John Wilkes Booth. Yeah. I, I do have him slated sometime this year. So. <laughs> I'm actually I'm thinking him around April, around the time of the assassination, and yeah, makes sense. Yeah. All right, we got a good one for you, folks. Uh, this is the first of a three-parter. We're in my neck of the woods this week. We're in Illinois. There's so many people to choose from, too. Oh, we do. We, I mean. And We've got what there are three could be three partners too. So wow. Well, the the first one we did from this area was Gacy. Mm-hmm. There's Richard Speck. Yep. So it could be him. Um. Oh God. Um. James Earl Ray, the man who assassinated J. Uh. MLK. Two parter. Well, and I didn't know he was from Illinois. Yeah. So. Who is it, Scott? We are going to talk about Nathan Leopold and Richard Loeb. Yay. Yeah, Monica's happy. Well, interesting ones. But... Well, it, it is because this was um, jazz away. Yeah, jazz age Chicago. Um, it is. You know, it, it, it's interesting because. Well, I forgot another one we covered from the area. I think it was kind of your area too. H. H. Holmes. Oh well, yeah. Hello, Burry. He's like been a <laughs> he's been a Delco boy for like a hundred years now. So yeah. Um, no, Leopold and Loeb. Um, in 1924, I want to say. Uh, these two. Thought that they were going to commit the crime of the century, but in all of their planning, they I'm still getting away with the crime of the century. Well, right, and, and it still kind of is. For... Well, and and the thing is, is there, there's, I mean, there's been a lot of things written about these two. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that these two were the, the one that gets me in the, in the book that I read. Um, what's it called? Nothing but the night. Yeah. Uh, the one thing that this book really dispelled was the myth that these guys were like so in it, so into um, Frederick Nietzsche and his his uh, philosophy of the Uberman. Mm-hmm. And only one of them really read Nietzsche. The other one was like, oh, Jesus Christ, just just let him talk. Mm-hmm. Just just let him talk. He'll wear himself out. He'll get, he'll get tired and go to sleep. <laughs> right. You see him over there talking about Nietzsche rubbing his eyes. That's it. Go to, you know, he's tired. Let's, let's give him a bottle and send him to bed. <laughs> it's like, it's like we did our children when I, you know, and, and I do it with my nephew, um, Porcupine, when he's rubbing his eyes. Talk about Nietzsche. No. No, I was like, go get your box, crawl up here, and, and he will. He'll go get his bottle or sippy cup, you know, sit up in my lap and drink and fall asleep. 
<clears throat> so Uncle Scott's good for something. Yeah. If I really want him to go to sleep, I'd read him the uh, Federalist Papers. Oh, yeah. That'll put anybody to sleep. Mm-hmm. Should try that next time. Right. Well, I, I do admit I have a copy of the Federalist Papers in my library. That's what I'm saying. I guess you grab. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say, you know. Old enough now to run <laughs> When I was with Amanda, I had a, a digital copy, and she's like, "I'll put anybody to sleep." I'm like, "Yeah, when I have problems sleeping, I'll, I'll break out the uh, Federalist Papers and read those." Yeah. Uh-huh. Ma- Madison and Hamilton will put you to sleep. John Jay, not so much. I'm already right. Well, the pro, and I've spent I've spent a, a a good part of last year reading. Um, Jefferson and Hamilton for a paper. Hamilton is so law- so lawyer when he writes. Yeah. Although I, I probably will make my way out to Montpelier and Monticello this summer or sometime. I just want to see him. Yeah. yeah. All right, kids. Now let's get into our story. Now, I know this is a tough one because Nathan's middle name, I I even had trouble trying to sound it out phonetically when I was reading it. So Nathan Frudenthal, Leopold Jr. You see why he didn't go by his his middle name. He was born on November 19th, 1904. He was born into a German-Jewish family who had immigrated over to America in the 1890s. He was the third and last child of his parents, having two older brothers. His father was a millionaire who owned the Morris Paper Company and the Fiber Can Corporation. Um, I wanted to look these two up, but I, I doubt that they're still standing in Chicago. So, yeah, I don't know. After his birth, his mother's health began to decline. She uh, she contacted nephritis after his after she gave birth to him, and I mean she lingered for years, but her health wasn't always the greatest. And and because of their you know big you know their standing in society and everything, it wasn't unusual for these boys to be raised by governesses instead of their parents. You know, mom being a delicate flower, relationship with dad wasn't that close. Go figure. I mean, his his dad did teach him how to shoot and gave him a gun one year for his birthday. But Nathan was a prodigy. Many believing he said his first words at four months old. And, you know, because he was a small kid and the youngest of the family, he liked to steal things just to prove he could do it. Now, because of his intelligence, he was seen as a strange child and had few friends. He developed an interest in birds and learned the art of taxidermy to show off his growing collection of birds. Dahmer, Dahmer did taxidermy too, right? Well, not so much the actual taxidermy, he just peeled them and, or not, you know, he um, dissolved them. John DuPont now, he's the one that did taxidermy. DuPont, that's out in your yeah. Remember the yeah, yeah. You took me by where his place was. Twenty 
27 years this month. So, okay. I'll have to pick that one up too sometime. Yeah, I'm going to have to let me write that name down real quick. Yeah, I have a notepad next to my computer. So, but yeah, for the actual taxidermy, it was DuPont because he had the money to do it. Well, Nathan learned on his own. But he also had the money for the supplies. And stuff. Right. He had the money yeah, for the supplies. Uh-huh. And Nathan ended up having a collection of like two, two to 3,000 birds that he, he shot. Yeah. Taxidermied and mounted. Because where these guys are, are going to end up moving to um, the Kenwood neighborhood in Chicago is part of Hyde Park, which was... Very exclusive neighborhood for the time. It's, it still kind of is. Um, one of the houses in, involved in this, I think it was Bobby Franks that I read, had been turned into apartments. Uh, Leopold and Loeb's houses are no longer standing. I'm uh, sure part of the reason is because of who it was, too. Well, yeah, yeah. We in Chicago, well, Chicago went through like this gentrification phase back in like the late 90s, early 2000s. And like some of the older homes were raised, and um, the the houses had stood for a while. Um, even this Harvard school that they went to later, it stood up until like the late 90s, early 2000s. Yeah, so I guess it's probably the upkeep. Too. Up, upkeep, right. Um, I think they said one of them got turned into condos. Yeah, so. so but still, these huge, you know, mm-hmm. you can, I mean, some, I've seen the picture, so you can almost call these like gothic mansions. Yeah. You know, the style back then, early 20s, um, very, one of them almost had like an alpine look to it. With with the pitched roofs and everything, so they um, yeah, upkeep was probably a big thing of you know them falling into disrepair and eventually being raised. Yeah. Now his father had given him a gun, which he shot his birds with. One day he tried to shoot a bird, and he almost hit a servant with the um. I don't know what type of ammunition he was using. If it was bullets or BBs, I, I don't really know. But he was confronted, and, you know. He was like, hey, you almost shot a servant. And he's like, why should I give a damn? Very arrogant child. He was small for his age. At the age of six, he attended Miss Spady's school in 1910. Uh, this was pretty much a girl's school. and Transferred a year later to the Douglas Public School. But he stood out because of his size and how he viewed others. Now, I'm a, he was told not to associate with the Negroes and tough kids. And he was sent back to Miss Spadies at the age of eight. And because he was smarter than the others, he got to skip a grade. La, 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 la. Now, 1910 brought another change into Nathan's life. His father hired a new governess named Matilda Wants. She spoke German, and 
well, Nathan knew a few languages, and German was one of them, so he tutored her in English. Well, she was a suspicious woman and superstitious, and she often talked about the other servants to Nathan and his brother Sam. You know, just trying to put that wedge between her and the kids and the other servants. <clears throat> and, and as well, you know, because Nathan often believed that, you know, because of his intelligence or whatever, he really wasn't looked on great by the family. So she played on those fears of his. Now, Matilda also began to sexually abuse the boys. Now, I'm going to warn you guys right now, this little part here is going to get a little sensitive for some of you. And you want to listen fine. If not, go ahead and hit that little uh, skip ahead button. So she would invite them into the bathtub and flaunt her naked body in front of them, inviting the boys to look and touch her breasts and nipples. Often she would wrestle naked with the boys. She gives a whole new look to a belly to back suplex. Oh no, I'm I'm thinking that wrestling that Vince McMahon and the crew do. She's probably doing Greco-Roman holds on them. Slowly, she began to lie in bed with them, with Matilda lying face down and the boys rubbing their genitals between her legs. Now, this would go on until Nathan was 12. One day, Mom came walking in to see the boys and found Matilda treating them rough. Well, Ma didn't like this, and she was fired on the spot. It was after this that Nathan discovered that he was sexually attracted to men. In 1915, the family moved to the Kentwood neighborhood and Nathan attended the Harvard School. Because of his intelligence, he once again skipped several grades. Nathan never fit in at school, often treating others as inferiors and having a superior attitude. 1916 saw Nathan attending a summer camp where he developed an attraction to a counselor. While there, he met a boy named Henry who taught Nathan how to masturbate. Because every, everyone's first sexual encounters happen at summer camp. This one time at band camp? At first it was Nathan watching Henry, then Nathan joining in. The two formed a secret club to masturbate. They invited a young boy named Joe to join. That would, like, I think that'd be kind of awkward. but Well, and depending on how old Joe was, too, you know. Well, yeah, but just like how do you? You got three hey. boys doing a three boys doing a circle jerk in a treehouse. So this allowed Nathan to indulge in fantasies he had, where he could tie Joe up and masturbate him against his will and other sadistic ideas. Nathan had found people to share his interests in. In 1920, he graduated the Harvard School. He had gone out with some friends and picked up a girl. Nathan attempted to have sex with her, but he couldn't perform. He swore. Everyone to secrecy. This was in the days before uh, Viagra. Yeah. On June 11th, 1905, Richard Albert Loeb was born. His parents were also German-Jewish immigrants, and he was the third child in the family. Nathan believed that his parents didn't care for him and felt they favored his older brothers, which later it would be proven to be, yeah, why? In 1910, the family hired a new governess, Anna Struthers, to watch over Richard. Anna quickly moved to become the dominant influence in young Richard's life. 
Anna pushed, pushed Richard to achieve more than other boys and would be upset if he didn't live up to her expectations. Richard it was that it, she did that uh that quiet, you know, the 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 quiet scolding. Oh, yeah. You know, it's like maybe you're just not as brilliant as I thought you were. Mm-hmm. I I just don't know. I I just thought you were just so brilliant there, and you know, you just let me down. I don't think her voice would have been quite like that. It would have been higher class. Well, it, it just depends. I mean, um, you can't use the same voice for Hexen. People expecting a lot. You just can't. I mean, she could have been Irish too. You know, <sighs> I've heard about Irish mothers. Mm-hmm. So, so Richard quickly learned how to please and be appeasing to older people. As well as this, he learned how to lie very well. Struthers chose the books Richard read, believing books should educate as well as entertain. Richard slowly began to steal his brother's detective magazines, harboring fantasies of being a gentleman thief. This is Cary Grant there. Slowly, he began to commit petty thefts. By the age of 12, he had entered the University of Chicago High School. Richard had a difficult time adjusting since he was younger than his fellow students. Once he settled in, he began to make friends and join in different clubs. Anna pushed him to finish high school in two years. Richard's parents agreed to send him on a trip to Europe if he accomplished this. He did, but his parents did not hold up their end of the bargain. That would really get me. Oh, and you think about this. Uh, age 12. Um one of the reasons that they didn't want to send him was because World War One had just ended. Yeah, ended. Keyword, right? <laughs> right. It, but still, you, Europe was still kind of unstable. I, I could have just seen him going out through like the uh, the no man's land in Quebec. Uh, <laughs> right. Yeah. You, yeah, you really want to just go a little, you know, east. Well, so. no. See, back then, Kankakee was such a Back in the 1920s and, and the, at the turn of the 20th century, down where I live, Kankakee was like a booming metropolis. This was like people in Chicago would come down here to vacation in the summers. Um, we had a vaudeville theater where all five Marx Brothers played. Oh, cool. But I'm talking about Quebec with like the whole French thing. So, Oh, yeah. You, so well, you get the whole French, France. It, right. Quebec, uh, they really wanted to, to send to him... They really wanted to send him on an exotic vacation. They could have just sent him to Missouri. Or as my dad would have said, Marcus Hook. <laughs> it would be funnier if you were from here and you would understand. Right. Yeah. But st- Thank you but, for the laugh. So. Hey. so since he was in college, his parents felt that he did not need a governess. So they hired, so they fired Anna. It was here that he met Miss um, Struthers, your service is no longer required. You are terminated immediately. Vacate the facilities. Now, in 1921, the boys took a train ride to the Loeb Farm in Charvelet, Michigan. On that ride, they began to share their secrets with each other, realizing they had a lot in common. On that train ride, they shared more than their secrets. They began to share their bed. By the spring of 1921, the boys were cheating at cards, enjoy riding in stolen cars, and throwing bricks at passing cars. 
in one, you know, they would drive by, throw it through the windshield or passenger door or whatever. Well, in one case, he interrupted a couple having sex in the car by doing this. Yeah, yeah, I bet he, uh, I bet he was startled and finished quickly. Now, in one case, they drove by a shop, they threw a brick through the shop window, and the police just happened to be there and heard the alarm go off and fired at the boys as they were running to get into their car. Can you imagine, like, the diff? We would not be discussing that if they had actually hit them. True. Or at least had hit one of them, then all, right? Well, or if the police had actually hit them. <laughs> Chicago cops aren't really known for their accuracy. Also true. So. But true. I mean, there, there's a couple of these two instances right here. If they had gotten caught by the police, you know, the, the chances are they, they still could have done it because Nathan believed that the rules just did not apply to him. Well, yeah, but that's not I mean if like saying if they had shot him, killed him, he'd be dead. Right. <laughs> no more. Like, right. There wouldn't have been, there wouldn't have been, you know, Bobby Franks would have lived. Yeah. Kind of like you got to say with. Eric Harrison, Dylan Claybold. Right. Deal. Yeah. yeah, I'm that's one of the books I'm ordering when my money comes in. I am getting Columbine. Okay, continue on to the another pair of psycho killers. Now that summer the boys are back in Michigan. Work had been done on the house and one of the workers had been a classmate of the boys. Well that night they all slept on an on an open porch. God, I love it. it. Reminds me of sleeping on my grandma's porch when I was a kid. It was a closed-in porch, but still, no, nothing like that in the summer. Now, Loeb had gotten up to get something to drink, and then when he came back, he crawled into bed with Leopold. Well, the friend caught them and threatened to expose their secret. So, the so what do you do when you're confronted with this? Well, if you're Leopold and Loeb, you decide you're going to kill the friend. So their plan was, okay, we're gonna we're all three of us are gonna go out on on the lake here. We're gonna rock the boat, knock him into the water, he's gonna drown, and we're done with it. Well, their plan backfired because the guy could swim. So he went to Loeb's older brother, but the boys lied. I was like, yeah, we we don't know what the hell he's talking about. No, no. What us us you know being in the no no man we love women and the brother took their side and the worker was fired so he went back to the University of Chicago and began to spread rumors that these two were gay lovers now it's not like you know today you can call someone gay and they're like yeah man be gay be proud back then it was a scandal. So to avoid all this problem, Loeb decided he was going to transfer to the University of Michigan. But Leopold, being so love-struck about him, he couldn't stand being away from his friend. So he tagged along, and they rented an apartment in Ann Arbor. Well, Richard had received a message that his mother was dying, and he rushed back to be with her. Now, the nephritis that she had contacted after his birth is, is what did her in. He went back to Ann Arbor after the funeral and everything, and, and things had changed between the two. Richard could fit in and make friends while Nathan still harbored problems fitting in and treating others as if they were inferior. 
So Richard had pledged to a fraternity, and I think I wrote the fraternity name later, but if not, um, I remember Beta Tau being part of the name. So he, Toga, Toga. <laughs> you're right. There was a there was a Bluto there, and a, <laughs> there was a blue tar blue tarski there, ready to go. I needed a person. Did you see the um, my little short video of James on years? Yeah, ago? yeah, that was awesome. <laughs> okay, sorry. So now this fraternity really wanted Richard, but they they didn't want him if he was still hanging around Nathan. So he goes to the fraternity said, "Hey, listen, we want you, but you got to stop hanging around the uh, you know what noodle there." So Nathan decided that the fraternity was more important than his friendship and sent sent his ass packing back to Chicago. Now Nathan could still fit in, or I mean Richard could still fit in, and he tried to keep up with his fraternity brothers, but you know, he was 16. These guys are at least two, three, four years older than him. And you know, a 16-year-old trying to chug beers just really didn't work out too well. So Nathan went back to Chicago, and he enrolled at the University of Chicago. Now, during this time, he really started to read the German philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche, almost to the point of obsession. Nathan believed in Nietzsche's concept of a superman and believed himself and Richard were these people. Now, while they're away, Nathan still had was still pining hard for Richard, and you know he would do these things that you know placing him on an on an Uberman scale or whatever. And whenever he did this, he always put Richard higher than himself, kind of playing into like a a master slave sex fantasy that he had. So in 1923, both of the boys had graduated college. Now, once back in Chicago from Michigan, they started hanging out again because, well, they were bored. But it was to a point where they were never seen, like, alone together because they didn't want to fuel the rumors that they were a gay couple. But because, you know, as we said, Richard could fit in, Nathan couldn't, they began to argue. Nathan felt excluded from the world Richard lived in since people were more inclined to hang out with Richard. So, you know, I mean, we've all been in that toxic relationship where, you know, one person demands certain things out of us. And, you know, we're just like, yeah, yeah, sure, whatever. You give in just to shut them up. And this is what Richard did to Nathan. Nathan made demands out of him, and he just said, all right, yeah, sure, fine, we'll do it your way. On a chilly night in 1923, the boys drove to Ann Arbor to rob the fraternity house Richard belonged to. For Nathan, this was revenge for the fraternity making Richard choose them over him. For Richard, this was probably another round of doing something Nathan wanted to do to shut him up. By the time they arrived, it was three in the morning. 
They managed to break in and steal a portable typewriter, some money, and a few watches. Nathan wanted to rob another house, but Richard wanted to head back to Chicago. Richard gave in and they went to another house. As they were stealing a camera, Richard heard someone snore and got scared and left. This caused Nathan to get mad. On the way home, the two had another argument, one that almost ended their friendship. Nathan feared that with all the information Richard had on him, he could be reported to the police. Nathan proposed a deal. Richard had to accompany him on any crime he wanted to commit, but could back out if he felt it was too dangerous. And he could have sex with Richard three times every two months. Nathan had felt that Richard was holding back from having sex with him. Nathan proposed one more idea to seal the deal. They had to kidnap someone for ransom. Richard gave in, most likely to shut Nathan up. They drove back to Chicago, content in their agreement. Well, at this point, um, re- kidnapping really wasn't that high of a crime. Yes, I was like, yeah, if we're going to do a probation, eh. Well, yeah. them, right? Be nope. like, don't do that again, boys. Yes, sir. Yeah. Yes, sir, we won't do it again. But, you know, even in, um, there was a documentary I watched about uh, this crazy, like, year and a half in the 30s with, like, Dillinger and Ma Barker and Bonnie and Clyde and Machine Gun Kelly all running loose. Kidnapping wasn't seen as, like, the crime it is now. Because you just kidnapped someone for ransom. You got the ransom. You gave the guy back. No harm, no foul. It is a good story to tell. Right. You know, did did I ever tell you about this time that I was kidnapped by Richard or um John Dillinger? He was such a nice man. He he really was. Well, by March of 24, the partnership almost broke up again. Nathan was complaining that no real plans had been made to kidnap someone. And he thought Richard well, Richard was holding out, hoping that Nathan would give up this idea because it, it's stupid, you know? So, to make Nathan happy, Richard began making plans with him for the kidnapping. Now, at one point, and we're, we're you know, we're not sure where in the point when it came up, but Nathan mentioned kidnapping and raping a girl, but Richard shot this idea down. It was decided that they needed to kidnap someone from the neighborhood since it was easier to get someone in the car that knew them. The timeline they placed on the kidnapping was to be done by June 11th when Nathan was set to take a trip to Europe. He wanted to go to Gay Perry. (laughs) I love it when you do that. (laughs) I just rolled my eyes, folks. (laughs) You're right. One day, and I'm thinking about this, one day I should actually, for for all you people to, to check it out on our Facebook page, I'm I'm tempted to put up the the video of one of our recording sessions so you, you can kind of see her um, her expressions at some of my jokes. Now, during the month of April, the, the boys really cracked down and started creating their plans. No one is sure when murder entered their plan, but it was agreed upon in in an attempt to further prevent them from being identified. 
Because, you know, the, well, well, I get that. If you kidnap someone and release them, that person can go to the cops and say, well, they did it. If you murder them, they can't finger you. That didn't sound right, but they can't identify you. <laughs> no, I'm not getting punchy tonight, folks. I, I, I'm i just having a weird sleep schedule the past couple of days, going back to work after the holiday. Now, see, in the neighborhood they lived in, everyone knew their cars, and one of Loeb's personal car was being repaired. So the boys decided they needed to get a rental car because, hey, no one's going to know it's us. That's not our car. So they went down down to a rental place and used a fake name to get the car. Now, they, they did this because they, they established a fake ID. So when the day came for the kidnapping, they could get the car without a problem. They chose the spot to dump the body at Wolf Lake. Now, this spot was chosen because Nathan had gone out there by himself, and he also led groups out there to bird watch. Now, I, I've really got to take a look and see if Wolf Lake is still around in Chicago. But on one of Nathan's trips out there, he found a, a little culvert that was just the right size, perfect place where they could stash the body. Now, they worked out the details of where to leave the notes and which drugstore to use. and what Their idea was, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're, we're going to kidnap this person. We've got the ransom note. They, they figured it all out. They were going to, like something out of a spy novel. Okay, we give them the note. We tell them that, you know, we're going to call with instructions. Then then we send, the, the next day we send a, a taxi cab over to their place to take them to this drugstore where they can call on a on a phone and and say hey take this train and, and they they actually rode the picked the train rode the train and the idea was that they were going to toss the money out of the train so they actually did dry runs to see how much weight it would take to toss the package well, it's smart. I mean, that part. Hey, I'm not complaining about, on yeah, the fact well, that these yeah. guys planned it this deep. Mm-hmm. You know, that is some fucking. Sorry, Miss Phyllis. That <laughs> is some brainsy stuff right there. Yeah, because I mean, if you say it, but then you toss it, it ends up like thirty feet to the right or whatever. You know, right? I think they did like two or three. So, yeah. Right, I think they did like two or three practice runs just to make sure that that everything was prepared right. Yeah, and they didn't like it's not like they had um like well they had enough money to pay for the tickets and all that too. So it's not like well right they were and running out of money to do the planning. They had plenty of that. well, and it's also why they should like not been even not that they were doing it for the money. I'm getting ahead of myself here, but anyway. You know what I'm saying. Well, and, and tickets weren't that weren't that expensive. I think what, twenty-five cents. Yes, but then you also when you made thirty cents an hour. True. Something right. So you do it that way. Yeah. Well, and also in their neighborhood, it was it was a rich Jewish enclave. Yeah. So they had the money to so everybody in the neighborhood had money. Yeah. So 
On May 20th, the boys rented a car and went back to the Leopold house where Nathan grabbed a portable typewriter, some rope, a pair of rubber boots, a lap rug, and a bottle of ether and tape. At a hardware store, he bought a chisel. At another drugstore, they bought a bottle of hydrochloric acid. They went to a hotel and typed out the ransom note. The next day would be the day they put their plan into action. And that is where we're going to pause on Leopold and Loeb right now. I want to know what happens next. No fair. Cliffhanger. Uh, (laughs) They went to a very nice uh, restaurant in Chicago. They had a very good cut of steak. And they realized, what the heck are we doing? And they went home. The end. You're right. It should have ended, right? (laughs) In a perfect world. Mm-hmm, exactly. But in a perfect world, these crimes would not have committed and we wouldn't have a show. And yeah. We, we we would be hosting a dateline show talking about all of our terrible exes. But then it, that wouldn't be a perfect world either. So true. We'd be like having about like I guess rainbows and unicorns. <laughs> right. All of all that stuff. Would be very I say. I saw a unicorn today and it was so pretty. It was made out of diamonds and it sparkled in the sunlight. I'm on puke now, but you're right. All right, as as we mentioned on the uh, on the last show, next week we will be recording on my birthday. Uh-huh. I will be ha- I'll be half a century. What time were you born? You know. Or- um, one something in the morning. Okay, so it's not even like you could be like, I'm clinging to this like grim death. This You're right. right. No, it, yeah, it'll hit me up. while I'm sleeping. Yeah. <laughs> I'll go to sleep on Wednesday night, mm-hmm. 49. I'll wake up Thursday morning, 50. Well, I guess it could be like, you know, the opposite of you know kids going to bed for Christmas. You'd be like, if I stay up, it won't happen. If I stay up, it won't happen. <laughs> if I stay up, I won't make it to work tomorrow. <laughs> they'll they'll catch me in the bathroom stall sleeping on the toilet. I, there was a place where I worked at where I did do that because I was up so damn early in the morning to go to work. They would cat. They eventually found out that I was sleeping in there. They'd have to come wake me up. Wow. But um, no. Next week we will be. If 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 Barbie's listening and she's one of our Facebook page members, she is a big fan of my father. If if my father was to have a fan club, she would be the president. Yikes. And and she loves it when we talk about my dad. So next week we are talking about my father. Oh man, so this is oh yeah, this is a real cliffhanger. Then I was just saying that, but yeah, yeah, I'm not saying it just for effect, right? You you know, we're it's going to be a two week break before we get back to Leopold and Lowe. Yeah. Well, and I just said it'd be funny, but (laughs) jokes on me. So. Well, and also this is a way to bring you up to speed on my father. Thank you. Yeah. And since, I mean, it's not like a whole real cliffhanger since, you know, everything that happened. Right. And, you know, I, I don't want to wait for the 50th episode to do my father. I'm going to knock him out in the early, yeah. <laughs> in the early part of this, the run. Yeah. <laughs> 
<clears throat> All right, folks, if you're looking for us, you know, we've got the Facebook page. Find us there. Um, any app you're listening to, uh, please rate and review, honestly. Tell us, tell us we're good. Tell us we suck. Mm-mm. No. I can't take that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, don't don't give us one stars because you know Monica's. I'll cry. <laughs> I, probably, I probably would. Do you know, and that's the funny thing is, is back in the early days of the show, Phil and I would just like revel in the in the negative comments because we didn't care. Mm-hmm. We were kind of doing this to like thumb our nose at like the established true crime podcasts. Yeah, the 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 early days of the show. Mm-hmm. When I was listening, right now I now I've I've grown in you know yeah I, I can still do the uh, the crude jokes but I'm kind of more into like why did these guys do this stuff? Not so much investigative. Hmm? You're maturing. Yeah, I am. I mean, I can still do a a fart joke, but not like James that one day. No. Him and the sriracha hot sauce. Well, no, that, that one day um, when I was out there visiting and he uh-huh. did like the, the half an hour. What was it? The half an hour poop joke in the car. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. And he, he was just him laughing about it after a while. He was like, um, James, the joke lost its touch about 25 minutes ago. Yeah, well, you know, at that age, so. Right. At, at that age, you, you will wear the joke to the ground and beyond. Yep. Um... Podcast, uh, Podbean, Castbox, Spotify, big time. Um, and yeah, I'm kind of losing it right now. <laughs> For killers, calls the nut jobs. I'm Scotty J. Say good night, Monica. Good night, Monica. Oh, there's.